Okay, let's look at our scripture as we continue through the book of John. This is on the back of your bulletin or on the screen. And this is John 3, 22 through 36. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John, John the Baptist, also was baptizing at Aenon near Salem, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, Jesus, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has said and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The word of the Lord. Well, if you could become someone else, who would you want to be? You ever played this game, this sort of daydreaming game? If I could be someone else, who would I want to be? Maybe you'd want to be a star athlete, someone like Tom Brady. You know, he seems to have it all together. Or maybe a, a movie starlet like Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson. Or maybe a corporate titan like Jeff Bezos, who has so much power and influence. But I think what you would discover is if you stepped into these people's shoes, that aside from their abilities and skills and giftedness, they experience the same kind of problems that we do. So I think the answer is not to become someone else, but rather to be the person that we were meant to be. I think what I want more than anything is to be a content person, to be a centered person, to be at peace with myself. I bring these things up because I think we have a picture of a content person in John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a content person. His ministry is fading, he's losing popularity, and yet he's totally at peace with his situation in the world. What is his secret? His secret is this, that he says, he must increase, and I must decrease. See, John has made Jesus first in his life. And when we make Jesus first in our lives, we find peace and contentment in any circumstances. So we're going to look at John the Baptist here. We're going to look at the decisions he made. 
and we're going to examine them up against our own life because we can learn things uh, if we follow in his example. Number one, John the Baptist followed a Christ-centered calling. He had a Christ-centered calling. Number two, John the Baptist had a Christ-centered mentality. He had a mindset that was Christ-centered. And because he had a Christ-centered calling and a Christ-centered mentality, John the Baptist, number three, had a Christ-centered joy. So let's begin taking a look at a Christ-centered calling. John the Baptist has been baptizing, and if you remember, he saw Jesus. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was immensely popular. Crowds thronged to him from all over Jerusalem. But now Jesus has come on the scene. John has baptized him, and Jesus and his disciples are baptizing. It's actually the disciples of Jesus who are baptizing. And lo and behold, people are going to Jesus now, and they're not going to John. And the disciples come in verse 26, and they say this to him. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. It's not hard to see that the disciples of John the Baptist are envious. They're jealous of what's going on, that the crowds of people are thinning out, that they're now going to Jesus. Notice they don't even say the name of Jesus. Look, he who is with you across the Jordan. John had a massive ministry, and now all are going to Jesus, and they're jealous. Have you dealt with jealousy before in your life? That green-eyed monster where you had something and then all of a sudden there's a more popular, a more beautiful, a more powerful, a more skilled person and you find that you're losing your influence and you so want what they have and you, you're angry and you're upset and you're envious. See, the disciples expect John the Baptist to be hurt and jealous as well. But what does John say in verse 27? John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. In other words, John is saying this ministry that I had in the first place has been given to me from heaven. It's not something that I drummed up on my own. See, he has a proper perspective on the gifts and the calling that he has received, that it has come to him from heaven. I mean, isn't that true when you think about it? What do each one of us have that we have not received from heaven in the first place? It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. John says, this ministry I have been given, it's from heaven. It doesn't belong to me in the first place. And furthermore, my responsibility, my task was to go before Christ and to announce his coming. Indeed, it was even foretold 500 years before in Malachi. 3, 1, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before him, before me, excuse me. John the Baptist has always made it clear that his calling was to announce Christ and this has been done. So as the disciples are upset, John is content watching it all unfold as Christ becomes more and more popular and more and more influential. John continues on with this illustration in verse 29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. 
See, John brings up this picture, and there are three characters in the picture. There's the bride, there's the bridegroom, and there's the friend. Well, the bride is Israel. The bride is the people. For many different times in the Old Testament, the people of Israel were referred to as the bride. Here's Isaiah 62.4. You shall be no more termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a woman, so shall your sons marry you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. The bride is the people, and the bridegroom is Jesus. We see in Revelation 19, 7, that Jesus is referred to as the bridegroom. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. But the friend, or the best man, is John. See, that's what the friend is back then. He's, he's the best man. John the Baptist is saying, I'm not the bridegroom, certainly not the bride. I'm the best man. And back then, the best man was responsible for a lot of the different elements of the wedding, much more than now. And as the best man, John the Baptist has been waiting for the voice of Jesus Christ to come and woo and call his bride. And John has found his greatest joy in watching the ceremony proceed without a problem and knowing that the groom and his bride are being united with great rejoicing. He says, my joy is complete because he has done his job. John's voice was the first voice calling out in the wilderness, but Jesus' voice has taken over. Jesus' voice is the one that raises the dead and is known by all the sheep and they follow this voice which woos and wins the bride. Like John the Baptist, we all have been given a Christ-centered calling. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. See, we've been given a new life in Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian. But we've also been given a great commission, like John the Baptist. I looked up the definition of a commission, what a commission is. And it is the act of granting certain powers or the authority to carry out a particular task or duty. Each of us have been granted certain powers and authority to carry out the duty of going and making disciples. And it's been given to us from above. Our task, like John's, is to testify to the grace of Jesus Christ. But how and where and to who we do it is all different, based on our talents, our gifts, and abilities. See, John the Baptist was put in his own particular situation and given his own particular talents. But so have you. You've been placed in your own particular situation and called to testify to Jesus Christ. Are you a homemaker? It's in the home and around the home, in the relationships that you've built, and with your children, and in the community, and with the schools, that you're called to proclaim Jesus Christ by how you live your life, how you live and how you speak. Are you a doctor? The patients that you see, the relationships that you have, the skills that you've been given, all of them have been given to you from above. And you've been given a great and glorious calling to proclaim 
Jesus Christ through the skills and the gifts and the speech that you have. See, we have the same objective as John the Baptist to bear testimony to Jesus, but we all have different methods in how we do it. I heard the story of a woman who was, uh, this was told by a, a pastor in our denomination, uh, of, a, of a woman who was proposed to by two different men on the same day. Talk about a conundrum, right? Both of these men came to her and said they wanted to spend the rest of their lives with her and, 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 and wanted her to be their wife. Well, this woman chose one of the men. Now, this has happened before, but what is amazing is on the wedding day, all three of them were there. One of the men was the best man of the other man. And I think to myself, how could that man choose to be the best man? He reoriented his joy. Instead of from being married to seeing the celebration and the marriage of his best friend, and this woman that he had loved, he reoriented his joy to realize that it was not about him, that he had a greater calling in life. See, we have a high and lofty calling, but we're not the bridegroom. We're the best man. For many of us, our lives, our work is divorced from our calling. And our lives are drudgery day after day because we don't recognize that God has given us a high and lofty calling wherever we go and whatever we do to look to proclaim Christ to the bride, to God's people who we don't know who they are. Our calling is greater than just our work, what we do nine to five. And so we must see our circumstances in light of Christ. The job that we have the health situation that we've been given, the living situation, the family that we're in. We must view them all through the lens of this glorious calling that we've been given to proclaim Christ. John the Baptist touched the lives of those around him in his day, in his time. And we have the same opportunity. The co-worker in the cubicle across from us our administrator, our boss, our client. If you're a student, that kid who sits across the table from you in the lunchroom, that girl who plays on the sports team with you, you have an opportunity, a Christ-centered calling. So recognize your commission and do it. Be a part of God's plan. John the Baptist had a Christ-centered calling, and so do we. Because when we make Jesus first in our lives, we find peace and contentment in any circumstance. Well, this brings me to my second point. John the Baptist not only had a Christ-centered calling, he had a Christ-centered mentality. John said these unbelievable words in verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. See, the disciples, they're thinking the opposite. John, you must keep increasing. You must keep growing in popularity and power. This is the way of the world. This is what the world tells us, right? That we must keep increasing. But John is saying, no, no. It must be less about me 
and more about him. See, it's not just about proclaiming him. It's not just about the calling that we've been given, as great and glorious as it is. It's about living for him. Jesus gave us the great commission, but he also gave us the greatest commandment, right? To love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind and strength. See, each one of us is designed to put something in the center of our lives. We're always trying to fill that void, filling that vacuum. And the world tries to fill it with money, with sex, with power. And John is saying, I want Christ to be in the center of everything. Notice what he says, that he must increase, but I must decrease. It's a must. See, my friends, Jesus is not offering a makeover. He's calling for a takeover, which is very, very different from the easy kind of Christianity light that we have been told again and again. We will never, ever have peace until we put Christ in his assigned place, which is in the center of our lives. Now, John the Baptist wasn't the first one to say this. All of the greats of the Christian world say the same thing. Think of the Apostle Paul. In Galatians 2.20, that says, For I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying, I no longer have the right to choose what I do with my life because I have been crucified with Christ. In fact, I no longer live. Christ is in the driver's seat in my life because he had a Christ-centered mentality. Jesus said, whoever would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's totally opposite from what the world says. But it's true that as we lose our life, to Jesus Christ, as we give it away to him, as we give him more and more sway and power and influence and control in our life, he becomes greater and greater. We actually find our life. But Carlos, you're saying to give everything to him, to have a Christ-centered mentality. Why should I do that? We see the reasons in verse 31 and verse 35. Verse 31 he who comes from above, meaning Jesus, is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. See, one who is from the earth, meaning you and me, cannot have preeminence over one who has come from heaven. John understands exactly who he is. He's made of dust. He's of the earth. He's fallen. And he's a sinner. Jesus called John the greatest of human beings. And yet John knows that he doesn't hold a candle to the one who is from above. John could call people to repentance and to baptism in water. But he could not reveal the counsels of heaven. Nor could he offer regeneration from above. See the reason we can do this is we can trust him because he's wiser than us. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. For as the heavens are above the earth, 
So are his thoughts and his ways above ours. We can trust him with our life. And we see in verse 35, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Everything belongs to Jesus Christ. Whether the stars, the galaxies, the nations, or the planets. He who is, is the one who is in charge of all things. He is the Lord. The one who conquered death. And because he conquered death, Jesus has exalted, God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because all belongs to him, he can handle my life. He can handle my problems. He can handle my issues. He can handle my mess-ups. He can handle my flaws and my issues. Finally, we should give all to him because he is the one who has life itself. Notice verse 34. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the spirit without measure. The prophets in the Old Testament were given a certain measure of the spirit of God to accomplish what it was that they needed to do. But Jesus is given all of the spirit. All of the fullness of the spirit. And the spirit is the life giver. And that is why Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Are you looking for life? Are you looking for wholeness and happiness? Are you looking for centeredness and contentness? You'll find it in the one who has life. John did, and we will as well. Because it makes sense to give him everything. I have a confession to make. I love Virginia basketball. UVA basketball. That's where I went to school. I went to every game that I could. Love me some Tony Bennett. Uh, I love the team. I remember, you know, in, at the halftime, they always do this thing. And, well, they don't always do it, but they did it when I was a student where they would bring out someone and they would say, listen, if you can make a half-court shot, okay, we're going to give you the rest of your tuition free. Or we're going to give you a car or something ridiculous. And I thought to myself, gosh, if I only, you know, could be the one that's picked to go and do that, that would simply be amazing. Now, let's say I was the one who was picked to do that. And before I took my shot, my single solitary shot, I was given the option of shooting or my good friend Michael Jordan could take the shot for me. Who would I choose to take the shot? Well, I think we would all choose Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player who ever played. Why? Because he's forgotten more about basketball than I'll ever know. And that's just an infinitesimal analogy of Jesus Christ who is with us and in us and wants to live out our life in concert with us. See, Christ is first and I am second. What would happen if you started to live your life that way? If you started to put him first in all the things that you did, 
to have a Christ-centered mentality. He must increase, and I must decrease. To put your thoughts and your affairs under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I think you would find peace. I think you would find centeredness. I think you would find contentment. See, to start truly living, we must die to ourselves. So start surrendering your life. What areas of your life have you cordoned off with caution tape to Christ and said, you can't touch this? He wants that. Sign over the ownership of your life, your dreams, your relationships, your resources, and make Jesus Christ first. Because when we make Jesus first in our lives, we find peace and contentment in any circumstance. This brings me to my final point, that if we follow a Christ-centered calling and have a Christ-centered mentality, we will have a Christ-centered joy. John says in verse 29, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom stands and hears him and rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. See, Jesus is the bridegroom who has come for his people. And the bride belongs to the bridegroom. People belong to Christ, not to us. You know, there's great comfort in understanding that the world is not about me. That I am not the center of the world, but rather that he is. You'll never ever meet a joyful, self-centered person. But you will meet joyful, Christ-centered people. Because that's the very definition. Christ has come into the world and he's gathering his people. And if you are a Christian, you are some of those people. If you are a seeker of Christ today, he is wooing you to come belong to him. Because Christ is not calling for a makeover. He's calling for a takeover. John said, therefore, this joy of mine is complete. And John is finding it as he's becoming less and less important on the stage. See, when Jesus becomes greater in the world and I become lesser in the world, my joy increases. See, I think we're going about joy, finding joy all the wrong way. The world says joy comes from accumulation and accomplishments and adulation. But true joy comes from adding more and more to Christ's recognition, not ours. From making him more and more famous, more and more lifted up in our hearts and in the world. Because we are the portrait of another. Did you know that? That you are the portrait of another. What do I mean by that? Well, when God took out his stylus or his paintbrush and he decided to paint you, most people, when they paint someone, they paint it after a model, right? They paint the painting after a model. Well, who is our model? The scriptures say that we are made in the image of God. But the scriptures also say that Jesus is the image of God. And so when God was fashioning you, he was looking at Jesus Christ as the template 
to create you. We are the portrait of another. We are made of another. And when we make him the ultimate important one in our life, we will find ultimate joy. For whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. When we believe he is all who he says he is, the one mighty, high, and lifted up, when we believe this, we have eternal life. Not just life for the future, but life now. But when we choose to make ourselves the center, all we experience is death. Well, I've spoken for too long. But we see in John the Baptist a Christ-centered calling to proclaim him. A Christ-centered mentality to live for him. And when you do these things, you will experience a Christ-centered joy. That's what you will have. For when we make Jesus first in our lives, we find peace and contentment in any circumstance. By God's will, let that be you today. For he must increase and we must decrease. Let's pray. Oh God, you're calling us to a great and glorious surrender. To die to ourselves and to live to you. To place you first in our calling, in our vocation, and in the mentality that we have. God, I pray that we would surrender all of ourselves to you. That we would make you first in our life. For it's then when we do so that we, our joy, uh, we will experience joy and our joy will be complete. For we are the portrait of another. I pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.